from CNU 23 in Dallas, this is the Strong Towns Podcast. This is kind of live. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone at CNU 23 at the Adolphus in downtown Dallas. Uh, I have Jared Walker from Jared Walker and Associates, uh, the book Human Transit. James Lamas from Traffic Engineers, Inc. in Houston. Uh, I wanted to have you guys on to talk about uh, some of the work you've done in Houston. Uh, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to chat with you. Uh, give us a little overview of how you got started. I'd like to start with the question you were asked to solve in Houston and how that kind of informed the way you approach the problem there. Well, the, uh, a, a variety of circumstances came together and, and led the transit agency, the transit agency board to determine that it was time not to with their bus routes like they, like all transit agencies do a few times a year, but to wipe the map clean and draw an entirely new network. The, the Houston we see today is completely different than the one that the, uh, the bus network was originally designed around. We we don't have one downtown. We have five or six. Uh, we've you know the center of residential density has moved uh, out from the urban core down to the to the southwest, and the bus network just wasn't serving the types of demand that that created. And so the uh, the board asked us to to wipe the map clean and and draw one from scratch and and see what the results of that might look like. And, and, uh, go ahead. I think I would add, too, that certainly, as James says, the city has changed profoundly since the existing bus network was largely laid out um, something like 30 or 40 years ago in all the ways James describes. The other thing that's changing that is making the case for bus network redesign is that our values are changing and some of our trade the trade-offs that people would make are changing. And so the expectations that transit be something that is useful not just to low-income people, not just to extremely dependent people, but to people in many parts of the society, and particularly now in the increasingly densifying and urbanizing parts of inner-city Houston. That expectation was also an important part of the redesign. We had to redesign a a network that had come to be very specialized around Quite frankly, the people who call in and ask for things right. needed to be rethought to be to be something that made sense across the entire city for the massive scale of people who are going to need transit in the future. Right now, now this is Houston. Uh, as someone who's not, you know, I'm I'm from uh, northern Minnesota. Uh, Houston is this great, uh, you know, southern city, not known for progressive planning, not known for. Uh, maybe a, a lot of, I, I don't want to put Houston down, but I'm, I'm trying to create a context here that, you know, this is not the place you would think that real thoughtful transit policy would emerge from. Yet, wiping the slate clean was kind of the, the key thing that maybe was only possible in Houston. 
I think part of what happens in Houston happened in Houston is that the transit system was really on the ropes. It was losing ridership very dramatically. It was experiencing ridership losses at the same time that all of its peer cities were experiencing gains. So there were really clear signals that the system was obsolete. I think the other thing we had in Houston was a board and a political context in which we had leaders who were ready to make hard choices. And this is really the crucial thing, because as somebody who redesigns bus networks for a living and is used to taking cities through this process, there is an enormous challenge in, in dealing with every existing rider's feeling of entitlement to the system always being as it was. The reality is always that you have many people who have organized their lives around the bus network as it is, and in many cases they've organized their lives around services that aren't really financially sustainable anymore, and the process of facing those people's rage is, I think, a very understandable reason why a lot of regions are terrified to touch this. Houston was not terrified. I want, it was still extraordinarily difficult for the board, um, just incredibly difficult. The amount of rage they had to face, the amount of negotiation with that they had to do, the absolute sincerity of the negative impacts on some of the people who were negatively impacted. Right. But... At the same time, they had to look at the fact that, the, that, that the, the network was growing obsolete and that resources had to be shifted into higher ridership forms, ultimately, so that the next time people make location choices around transit, they'll make location choices around services that are permanent because they're high ridership. This goes to one of the main pieces of advice I have for people who are thinking of making location choices with transit in mind. Check the ridership of the bus line you're considering locating on. The higher the ridership, the more the you know, if it ranks highly in the system's hierarchy, it's unlikely to be changed. That yeah. actually is what makes things permanent. Well, l let's talk about this difficult decision because you know, and you kind of push back a little bit, James, earlier on me in a different forum when I, I kind of maybe painted this as an easy pro. <laughs> you know, these are easy decisions because you're in the trenches. This is a gut wrenching kind of stuff. But you were, as, as it's been described to me, trying to set up a, a conversation around the, the two main variables of transit. How, how much area do you cover? How much ridership do you have? And there's historically been a, an attempt to kind of balance that. And you guys actually picked kind of one side of that over the other. Can you describe that? Or no, you didn't. Okay, you're shaking your head. No, we didn't. Describe that thought process then and some of the, uh, some of, some of the, the challenges that that creates. So you're talking about what we call the ridership coverage trade-off. Right. And the reason this is an unavoidable trade-off is that if transit were thinking like a business and trying to maximize its ridership, mm -hmm. it would be running very high-frequency services in the places of highest demand, and it would not be serving a large part of most cities. That's true of almost any urban area. Sure. You would concentrate on where you can succeed, just as a business does. And because transit ridership responds so overwhelmingly to frequency, the payoffs for maximizing the ridership of a whole system are actually for a relatively geographically small system focused on the dense area and running really, really high frequency. Now, obviously, Transit agencies are bombarded every day with people telling them not to do that. Right. Most of the input they get is, why aren't you coming out to here? Why aren't you coming out to here? Why aren't you serving our low-density suburb? We pay taxes, too. You're good. You're good. And, and so that's what I call coverage goals. Right. And 
what, we, what I've tried to do is help transit agencies have clear conversations about the fact that you're not going to do both of those things with the same dollar, so we have to have a conversation about how we manage that trade-off. It's not an either-or. It's a spectrum trade-off. That's the crucial distinction. And so I think that's came, a really good distinction. Yeah, so yeah. we came down, we, we, we told them that they're currently about 60% ridership, which means about 60% of their service is where it would be if ridership were their goal. Yeah. And they told us that they wanted to take that to 80%. Okay. And that meant, of course, that coverage service was going to fall from 40% to 20%, and people were going to be unhappy about that. We did a lot of work to help the board understand that that's an inevitable consequence of turning the dial that way. Right. If it were easy, someone would have done it. Right. right. So let's talk about this from a, a person standpoint. I, I'm, I'm, I live in Houston, and I live in one of these areas that was before low frequency, low ridership. Now I'm in a place with maybe even lower frequency. I'm in another area with high ridership but low frequency. So quite possibly. Now I'm in a place with high ridership and high frequency. So here are some of the trade-offs you've probably experienced. Yeah. If you live in a low-density area, yeah. uh, and by the way, there's low density in Houston across all spec the whole spectrum of income. It's not an income thing. Right. Um, if you live in a low-density area, it's quite possible that the trade-off is your bus service is now further away, mm -hmm. but it is worth walking to because it is frequent when you get there. So it's a longer walk to more useful service. Another possible trade-off is that you may not have had to transfer before to get downtown, and now you do. But that's made it possible to run services more frequently. Right. Um, those are some of the common trade-offs. And then there are some, and, and then there are some very difficult areas in uh, areas that are basically turning rural. Both of those first true trade-offs, though, sound like I get to my destination more quickly and more reliably. You, I can't promise that everybody does. A lot of people do. A lot of people who initially respond negatively to this because, oh, I'm going to have to transfer. When you actually run the numbers on the frequency, you see they actually get where they're going sooner. What's more, here's the thing. Everybody comes to us wanting to protect the trip they already make, but the other thing we're doing is making all these new trips possible. You have direct service to all these new places, and, of course, people don't know how to value that yet, so we don't hear from them right. at this stage. Right. Okay, I, I looked at the... I, I, I acknowledged a, a year ago that when I look at a bus map, I'm just completely confused. And I'm a guy who's had seven quarters of calculus. I mean, I'm not an, I'm not an idiot by any degree, right? But I look at these things and I can't figure out when am I supposed to get on a bus, when's it coming, what, what, and then you have the, the reliability problem kind of stacked on top of that. When I looked at the map that you guys put together in Houston, I instantly understood what was going on, where the bus would be, when it would be there, and how I would get from point A to B. How transformative is that? Um, I, I think it's huge. And one of the things that we've really, it's been rewarding to see the, the transit agency coalesce around is that they finally have a local bus system that's worth marketing. And, you know, the marketing department at Metro has an, has an excellent marketing department that does, you know, incredibly creative things and wins all sorts of awards. But up until now, the, the local bus network just, just wasn't much of a product that was, that was worth doing that for. You know, they could tell you that, you know, we've got a, we've got a pile of, of 80-something routes. Many of them will take you on a zigzagging path to downtown every, you know, 20 to 40 minutes most days of the week. Um, and now finally they'll have a, a product which is over 20 routes that come every 15 minutes or better, at least 15 hours a day, seven days a week with additional late evening service and, and can market the, the liberating benefits of that, that, you know, you're, you're free from uh, having to design your life around the bus schedule. You can show up and, and trust that a bus will be coming along soon. You can make it from pretty much anywhere in the region to, to anywhere else 
with chances are one connection and that connection will be quick because the next bus is coming soon too. And so um, finally the, the city will have a, a local bus network that can be relevant to it again. Yeah. Let me ask you this just kind of to, to wrap this up. Houston, you guys work all, all over the place. You've been in many different cities. This is what you do. Is Houston a model? Is it is it is it and and is it just a North American model or is it is this actually something worth you know shouting from the rooftops or are we still too early to maybe make some of those calls? I'm asked this every client asks me this question ever since the <laughs> Houston plan came out and there are two parts of that question. Uh, one is can we produce such an extraordinary quantity of new frequent service without adding any operating dollars? Well, that's a function of how obsolete your existing network is. Right. So many existing networks are not as obsolete as Houston's was, and so we're not going to be able to unpack as many resources. However... So, so things aren't... Houston was really bad, and that made transform it, transformative change... Yes. There was more a lot of no, it's it. There was a lot of waste in the system, so yeah. there were a lot of resources we could reallocate. When I look right. at some other networks, I don't necessarily see that. Sure. But the other thing is, I think the methodology, the principle, the idea, for example, um, you know, often out in the industry, product projects like this are called something like comprehensive operational analysis, which is a great way to put everyone to sleep. Right. right. It's a way to say, right. You know, you go on. There's nothing here to care it's about. A, it's a great way to and add in, two zeros to the contract. <laughs> Right, and, and we said, and, and so we said, no, this is a system reimagining. Actually, we didn't say that. The board, um, Christoph Spieler from the from the yeah. Houston board said that, yeah. and it completely changed the conversation, and it made everybody, whoa, this is going to be big. Right. Pay attention from the beginning. It was also very important that people pay attention at the beginning because we were working through some really difficult policy trade-offs all along the way, right. and I think the fact that we did that work, that we had the early conversations and workshops about the hard choices like the ridership coverage trade-off was a lot of why once the plan did hit the street, we got all the inevitable negativity. We also had a lot of positivity because we prepared that ground and a lot of people understood what the choices were and why they had to go forward this way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think having that conversation would be extremely valuable to a lot of cities. You know, a lot of times I think people assume that the, the system out there is, is serving the people that it's supposed to serve and, and is doing a fine, you know, a, a a reasonable job of that, and so it might as well just just keep being what it is. But once we started really looking at Houston, we realized that you know if if your goal is maximizing ridership, it was clearly failing because ridership was dropping. If your if your goal is to provide high quality service to the people who need it most, you know, on the basis of of income, it was failing at that as well. The the uh, the benefits of of the high of the frequent network in in the new system will be felt about equally across across right. all demographics we looked at. And so having the conversation of what is the goal, what are we trying to get out of our transit system, and is our existing system doing that, um, is, is something that, that everyone should, you know, take a look at yeah. pretty well, often. I, I, I feel this is an inspirational story. I mean, it, doing more with the same amount of money better service, more people, more coverage. This is, this is like an ideal case study, I think, to, to start shouting around and letting cities know we can do this better. That's right. You know, we have doubled the number of people. At, uh, w sorry, let me put it this way. Uh, we, the network now can, will now connect a million people to a million jobs with high-frequency service. Yeah. Before, in the existing network, that number was half a million. So 
think about just the explosion of utility, the explosion of opportunity yeah. in people's lives that arises out of that. And of course, the job numbers are just the easiest thing to measure. Obviously, people have all kinds of access. To all those social and connections else. and everything else. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Jared, I know you've got a session coming up right now. I actually scheduled the entire podcast schedule around making the one session for this Congress being yours. So I'm headed down there with you. James, it's always awesome to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, make the city! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.